You guys sit down. I'd love for us to stand and read uh, today's passage together. Um, I believe this passage has a lot of power. I think, it, I think it's got a lot, of, a lot of things that can speak to each and every single one of us individually. And, and, I, and I pray that whatever we take from today can apply to you. Wherever you're at in your walk, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, that you can pull something from what, from what God has for you this morning. And so let's, let's read from this passage together and then we'll, we'll get rolling. He said, Jesus is speaking to his disciples a little bit before he gets arrested. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We've got a lot to unpack this morning, but before we get into it, let me give you the title of today's message. I've titled today's message, The Fruits of Change. The Fruits of Change. Hey, high five three people around you and uh, you can have a seat So uh, back when I was in high school, uh, I want to say the year was 2011. Um, I know that dates me, but you can take that for whatever you want. If that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. There you go. Uh, but uh, there was this test that me and uh, I was part of a really good church at that time. And so I, I was heavily involved in our youth group and with a lot of the church staff. And uh, we were very obsessed with this personality test. Anybody obsessed with personality tests in here like me? Anybody? Come on, people. Anybody? Any personality test people? There's so few of us. What is wrong? Ah, oh, okay. I'll just stand alone. All right. Uh, so uh, I love personality tests. Uh, for those of you guys who do love personality tests, I'm an Enneagram 9. Okay. Uh, just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. There you go. All right. Uh, it, but there was a personality test that came out a long time ago, but we were obsessed with it right at this time called the Myers-Briggs personality test. Now, how many of you guys know what this is? Okay. So a lot more. Okay. Perfect. 
So here's, here's how the Myers-Briggs test worked. Uh, Myers-Briggs, they, they discovered that there were 16 different personality types. And, and where you were on those 16 personality types depended on where you were on, a, on the basis of four different spectrums. And so on these four different spectrums, you could, uh, you could either align left or you could align right, but wherever you were, you were labeled on one side or the other. And, and basically, the co- unique combination of your labeling is what made up your personality type. And, and so your personality type was actually identified as the first letter of each of those words in, uh, in the areas in which you align. So I am an INTP, which means I'm an introvert who, based on intuition and is a thinker and a perceiver, okay? Uh, If you're the other way around, you're uh, an extrovert who senses, who feels, and judges, okay? Or is more prone to judge. Uh, So those were were the different categories, and there were 16 different combinations people could have in in their life. Um, The reason I bring this up is because I want to talk about the first letters, the the first spectrum, Uh, the I and the E, the introverts and the extroverts. Uh, We know what this is, right? Like this is not, this is not new knowledge to us, introverts and extroverts. This is probably the most common thing we talk about as a result from uh, this personality test. I'm actually not sure if they're the ones that founded introverts and extroverts. I mean, like to put a label on it, I'm not sure. Didn't do the research on it, to be honest with you. But anyway... Uh, we all know what these are. Uh, so where are my extroverts in the room? Don't disappoint me. Come on, extroverts. There you go. Okay. There we go. Okay. Okay. All right. So extroverts, there you go. We are the hooping hollowers. You guys are the wonderful people. Uh, how many, where are my introverts in the room? Yeah, just a hand raise. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. No, nothing better. Uh, now, how many of us would be bold enough to admit that you're actually, like me, uh, you're actually somewhere in the middle, but you claim to be an introvert to save yourself from embarrassing yourself in public? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. That's me. All right. Perfect. Uh, now, I've heard, I've heard many definitions of how people come to realize what they are, if, if you're an introvert or an extrovert. I've had people come up to me and ask me, how do I know? How do, you, how do I know whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert? And I'll always look at them and I'll say, well, what gives you energy? This, this is what I'll say. I'll say, what gives you energy? Uh, extroverts, they gain energy whenever they are around people. Whenever they are surrounded by people, they, they just gain a bunch of energy. Introverts are the exact opposite. They get energy whenever they are by themselves to their thoughts. They, they feel more alive whenever they are by themselves and, and they can think through things, right? Introverts, we have a distinct time limit on how much we can be out with extroverts. Uh, if, and I'll let you know, however extroverted you are, that our time limit gets smaller and smaller, all right? Okay. <laughs> But, but we, we have this limited time limit and then we need to refresh. Extroverts, you hate being alone. You just hate it in general. And so, and so it's like, I gotta be with people all the time. And because people give me energy because I need energy in my life, right? And so my mom, she came to our house uh, just recently. And my mom's been going through a lot of life changes recently. And uh, she, she told me something that I was like, no. She, my mom has always been the most extroverted person I know. Like she loves, loves, loves people and just being with people all the time. She's one of the most extroverted people I know. And then she comes up to me uh, recently and she says, you know, I think I'm becoming more of an introvert now. And I'm like, what? No, 
There's no way. Mommy, I don't think you understand how extroverted you really are. And, and I, like, I can understand people who are in the middle of the road and they can, they can sway one way or the other, but people who are on extremes, there's no way that you can change. There's no way that you can change sides. And, and so I began to ask the question, is this possible? Is it, is it possible for people to change? Can people change in their introverted extrovertedness? But this question then applies to a broader scope. Can people change? Can they? Well, let me ask this. Do you believe that you can change? And how we answer this question tells a lot about us. It tells a lot about our faith. It also tells a lot about how much we believe God is able to accomplish in each, in each, in each of our lives. And, like, and there are, so there are things that we, we like to change about ourselves, right? And there are easy things we could change, like your style. We can change our clothes pretty easily. We can fluctuate our style pretty, and change that pretty fast. You can change your hairstyle. Some of you are like the pink, love the pink flow. I'm not, I, I'm, I don't think I'd show up in pink hair, just to be honest with you. I don't think it's my thing. Okay. Uh, I think my wife would uh, hate me and then make me get it fixed right away. Uh, anyway, so, uh, but hey, if it's your thing, you, you do you. Um, but uh, maybe there's other things that you want to change. Uh, maybe you notice that there's a very particular skill set that you are lacking in your job that you need to work on, that you need to grow in, that in order to become more accomplished, to grow in your position, you need to become better at this. Uh, what I notice in my life, and married men, you might be able to relate with me on this one, the areas that I desire to change or improve on are actually the areas that my wife desires that I would change and improve on. Okay, anybody else with me here? Okay, so like my wife, will, she'll come up to me and be like, I just wish you were more emotional. I just wish you felt things like any, any time. I'm like an emotionless rock. <laughs> and, and Caitlin will come up to me and she's like, why aren't you crying? Can you just cry with me? I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not a crier. Sorry, sorry to say. Um, another thing, I mean, I'm not necessarily a clean person and, and she is. And so she'll be, she'll come up to me and she'll say, I just wish that you would clean. I, I wish that you would clean this house. I wish that you would mow the lawn. I wish that you would do something around here. And I'm like, oh, all right. So this is something I need to get better at. All right. This is something I need, I need to get better at. This is something I need to work on. Right. <laughs> um, maybe it's the other way around for you. I don't know. Some, uh, a lot of times our spouses end up being the opposite, opposite pieces of us, and, which is a good thing, I think. Um, but what I do know is that all of us here, all of us here, and maybe you're not in this category, but I know most of us are. Most of us desire to change. Most of us desire to change. Most of us want to become better people than we are right now. We want to become the best versions of ourselves possible. Whatever that looks like, we want to become the best versions of ourselves that we possibly can be. And I don't know where you are at your walk with Jesus, but all of us can relate to this feeling. This, this feeling of like, I need to be better than I am. 
And it's not, it's not just, it's not this feeling of not good enough, okay? Because that's a lack of confidence. What I'm talking about is this, is this feeling of, hey, I have room to improve. I'm confident in where I am, but I have room to improve in where I can go. And I feel like things that can, I feel like there are things in me that I can be better at than I currently am. And I'll be honest with you, it's because there are. It's because there are. You, and I want you to hear me on this, you were created to be better than you currently are. You were. Humanity, humans, we were originally created to be better than in this world that we live in. God create, when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them with the intention that they would live in this life of sin. He created them with the intention that they would be holy, that they would be this term set apart to be remaining in, in his glory so that they could live in community and in life together. Okay? For his glory, that's what, that's what God created us for. And, and so deep down in each and every single one of us, we all understand, we all know that this is not the way things should be. We, we have this deep desire, this deep longing that we've never been able to put a label on to say, you know what, I, I know things in this world should be better than they are. I know things within my heart should be better than they are. I know that I should be thinking better than I currently am. And, and we, know, we know that just no matter how much we want to achieve, we will always fall short just of where we want, where we, where we desire to be, where God desires for us to be. We know we are meant for more. We know, we, we know we're meant for more. And, and whenever Jesus speaks to his disciples, this passage, as, as he's clarifying who he is to his disciples, I, he speaks to this. He speaks to this really well. So let's, let's break it down, all right? I'm going to summarize it just by one line that he, that he mentions in that passage. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He says it many times the same way, over and over and over again, and different things, you know, super confusing. But that's the gist. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And as I was pondering over this passage, as I was thinking on it and stewing on it, I I realized, I look at this passage and I'm like, what's the fruit? Like Jesus, he, he, he says, you will bear much fruit. And, and I mean, this is a common term that's used within scripture and oftentimes represents these amazing things that we would bear. But Jesus, he never in this story clarifies what fruit is. He just says, you will bear fruit. And so I beg to ask the question, what is this fruit that you talk about? What is this fruit? And I don't know if the disciples who were listening to him at this moment, I don't even know if they understood what fruit was. Maybe they did. But later, through the Apostle Paul, who actually wasn't even in that room at the time, the Apostle Paul, he, he comes to us uh, in this book of Galatians, this letter that he writes, and he labels out these things. It says, the fruit of the Spirit... These are the fruits. These are the fruits that Jesus talks of. The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These nine things. And, and Paul later goes on to say, against, against these is no such law. Meaning that every single person could look at these characteristics, look at these things, and they would say, yeah, these are all desirable. Everybody shoots for these things. 
Everybody desires to be better in each and every single one of these things, to be better, to, to be better this way. And so the fruits that Jesus refers to, the fruits that Paul refers to, what they are, are traits of righteousness. Traits of goodness, traits of holiness. Traits that will set you apart from the world and set you apart into God's kingdom and what he has for you. These are all things we can be better at. And and honestly, I think a lot of times we look at this list and we say, okay, I'm I'm okay here. Uh, I could work on this. I could work on this. Uh, So let's let's put together the things that we need to work on and and we'll we'll make it happen, all right? Let's say, I, I could be more joyful. I could be more kind. I could be more patient. I could be more peaceful. And of course, we can improve these things because we're imperfect people. We, we can improve these things, but here's, here's the reality, is that we're, called, we're not called to, to be better in these areas. We're called to live these out, to live these out in the full as to what they are. Jesus calls us to be holy like he is holy. He, he calls us to be better, to live all of these things out as much as we possibly can. And so I beg to ask the question, we beg to ask the question, is this standard, this standard that has been set by Jesus, this standard that is set by Paul, this standard that all of us we want to shoot for, is it attainable? Can we reach it? Is it possible? And I'll I'll be honest, there's a lot of debates about this in the church world. Can we even achieve holiness? Can Can it even happen? And I'll tell you where I stand. Not by yourself. Not by yourself, you can't. See, here's where I think we often get this wrong. I think a lot of times we read passages like this and we look at this list and we say, we say Paul, he labels out so many great things here and, and we'll, it will pull apart the pieces. I need to work on love. I need to work on kindness. I need to work on self-control. And we'll compile this list this list of the things that we need to get better at and we'll, and we'll just keep this list on the, on the forefront of our minds and, and we'll tell ourselves and I don't know if Paul intended for this to happen but this is kind of what happens we tell ourselves that this is what righteous people do this is what makes up a holy person this is what makes up a good godly person and so we need to get better at these things we need to focus on developing mindsets of peace we need to focus on developing mindsets of love we, and, and the hard part about this is that it's not wrong in thought. In thought, you're right on. But in process, you are completely off track. In thought, you are right. But in process, you are wrong. Because every single time we generate this list, this list of areas and qualities in which we need to improve on, we categorize holiness down into these characteristics. And whenever we categorize holiness down into characteristics, what holiness becomes is all about your willpower to accomplish said things. It becomes about you to accomplish the things that you need to work on. And suddenly, inadvertently, we start making this stance that our willpower is going to be what changes us. And don't get me wrong, your willpower can do a lot of things for you. But to give you fruits of the Spirit, 
Your willpower will never accomplish that. Because here's what happens whenever we do this by our own willpower. The problem is, is whenever we try to take these traits into a, and we take our imperfect selves and we take these traits and we try to apply them to our lives the way that our lives currently are, we will corrupt them every single time. We will corrupt them from their original intended purpose. Let me give you some examples. Um, I think we've really begun to corrupt joy. I think we have. I think we've begun to say that, and we say that joy, you know, joy is immediately, we think joy and we think, oh, that's happiness. That's what joy is. Joy is to be happy. And so God is for your joy, which he completely is. He's for your joy. But because he's for your joy, if he's for your happiness, then anything that makes me happy, God must be in support of, which that's not the case. Joy is not happiness. It's not the same thing. Okay, and this is an entirely different message that we could talk about some other day. Uh, but joy is so much deeper than this. Joy is more like a state of being. And, and it's not even just a state of being of happiness. What it is, it's a state of being in freedom. It's a state of being as your response to the freedom that you've been offered in Christ. And as you live and as you feel, as you experience that freedom day in and day out, joy is what is there waiting for you. And so we corrupt joy. Another one I think we corrupt is love. I, I think a lot of times, and we do this a couple different ways, okay? Uh, we all do this. We all do this and we've all corrupted it. Um, on one end of the spectrum, we've taken love and we've taken the liberty to call people out, people we probably don't even know, on everything that they're doing wrong in their life. And we, and we excuse it to make Facebook posts that we probably shouldn't make. We excuse it to say things to people's face that we probably shouldn't say. But it's all done in the name of love. But really behind the curtain, it's just because you have this standard on other people that they're not willing to live up to yet. On the other side of the spectrum, though, we like to just throw the word love out. And we have, this, we have this idea that love is just this feel-good thing and, and it's just what love is. And so we want to make sure good vibes are everywhere. But love is actually more intentional. It, it takes the time to sharpen each other. It takes the time to improve each other. It's what love does. Love works this way. And so we, what we do is we corrupt the definition of love. We corrupt what love is based on where our imperfect realities want to take the word to go. And we always corrupt these concepts because what we are trying to do is we're trying to have our willpower dictate our way into righteousness. And as long as you are relying on your willpower to accomplish holiness, you will never achieve it. Remember what Jesus says. He wants you to bear fruit, right? You are not the source of fruit. The source of fruit is from the true vine. Jesus says this. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes on to say this. Apart from me. Sorry, go back, go back. There we go. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from me, 
you cannot accomplish any sort of change in righteousness. You can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I oftentimes notice the same trend whenever we look at people in the living in a life of sin. Like, even if you've come to Jesus and you've had this incredible come to Jesus moment and, and you've been living and you, and you, you give your life over to him and you ha- you're living in this excitement of what Jesus is doing in your life, but then you find yourself trapped back in your life of sin and, and, and you're doing the same exact things in your life that, were ke- that have been keeping you separate from him. And, and we might have, and, and, and so I don't know which way it comes. It's either going to be from your own guilt. It's going to be because you're feeling the consequences of the sin that you've been living in your life. Or you have somebody who comes up to you and they say, hey, what are you going to do about this? And, and your answer is always the same. It's going to be, I don't know. I'm going to work on it though. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to make sure it gets taken care of. And and every single time I hear this, I just want to say, stop. No, you're not. Do you not remember whenever it was said that you're no match for the powers of hell? You're no match for the urges of sin. You're not going to overcome it. Since when did you become the source of your own salvation? There's only one who can save you. And he already has. And he's the one who took your place. It's the one who's speaking in this passage and saying, I am the true vine. I am the source. I am the source for your salvation. I am the source for your transformation. I am the source for your holiness. I'm the source for your growth. I'm the source for your faith. I am the source for your life. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Come on, guys. And so what do we do? If Jesus, if God's spirit is the source of holiness, what do we do? And I'll give you a hint. And Jesus tells you what to do many times in this passage. So let me read it to you again. Let me see if you can pick up on it if you didn't see it earlier. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because I've spoken because I've spoken to you. Now remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Just pick up on it. What we do is remain. We stay. We, we don't move. We be still. We cling onto him. The ESV version of the Bible, he uses this word abide. 
We, we live in this. We dwell in this. We bask in the presence of God and we stay open to wherever he is leading. And that is it. It is so simple. So simple. But for some reason, we have this brilliant way of overcomplicating this. We have this beautiful way of just complicating this out. And we, and we just don't stay there. He calls you to remain. Remain in God's spirit. If you wouldn't allow the things of this world to distract you, to destroy the connection that you have with God, then the things that he could do in you, you'd be amazed. If you could just remain in him. If you could stay with him. Don't fall into this trap of needing to fix yourself. As long as you stay in God's spirit, he's going to mold you. He's going to do exactly what he needs to do. He will shape you exactly into who you are destined to be, who he calls you to be. And, and he doesn't do this work so that you would be better. Can we, go back? Can we go back a slide real quick? He doesn't do this so that you could be better. He does this for, this is to my father's glory, that you would bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. All for the glory of God. Now, now I want us to be clear and I want us to be on the same page here because I think even though we see this, even though we might understand this, you can go back to the remain slide now. Thank you. Um, even though we see this, we have a harder time connecting the dots here between the two because we'll see who we need to become. We'll have this vision, this idea, this, this, this idea of who God is calling us to be. And it'll be over here in the distance and we'll be like, all right, that's the goal. We need to, we need to achieve that. But whenever I tell you that the way of achieving that is to just stay still, to remain, well, that seems weird. That seems really strange. That seems counterproductive. Because in everything else in life, we have a goal. We set, we set up a plan. We set up a plan with action steps to accomplish that goal. And but what God is saying is, no, 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 you don't do the work. All you got to do is remain in me. All you got to do is stay with me. And trust me, we'll get you there. You just got to stay with me. And, and so let me, let me kind of break down how this works usually. First thing, the first thing is, is that in order to properly remain with God, to allow him to transform you, you have to first acknowledge and believe that he is the one who transforms. You have to get rid of this, this self-improvement side of yourself. And, and self-improvement's a really good thing. I, please hear me on what I'm saying here. You have to get rid of this idea that you are the one that's going to make yourself righteous. God is the one who is going to perfect you. God is the one who does the work of transformation in you. And so you have to give credit where it is due. He is the source. He is the vine. He is the one who changes you. And so anytime you come across something in your life, whatever fruit you want to gain, whatever fruit you want to bear, the only logical explanation is if, if he is the ultimate source for that fruit in your life is to then pray for it. It's the only logical thing to do. You pray for it. You pray, God, I wish that, I, I, I want you to make me better in this area. I want you to give me this fruit. 
And, and then what happens next is that he might just give it to you. I mean, we have examples in scripture. There are times in which God has just kind of bestowed that gift to people. But more than likely, here's what's going to happen. He's actually going to give you opportunities. Opportunities to do what it is that you're asking for. If, for example, if you find yourself asking for wisdom, you find yourself asking, because wisdom is a good spiritual gift. You ask for that wisdom from the spirit. Is God going to just grant you wisdom or is it going to place you in life situations where you can gain wisdom and share it with others? If you pray for patience, if you ask for patience, is he going to just grant you patience or is he going to place you in situations that anger you so that you can practice your patience? And this is a big one. If you ask God to love, for, if you ask God to show you how to love the same way that Jesus loved, is he going to just grant that to you? Or is he going to conveniently push you and put you in situations where you have to really care for the prostitutes and sinners of this world? Do you know who those people are? I mean, Jesus, whenever he was here, he cared for these people. The people that nobody thought he would spend any time with is the people that he was spending time with the most. And so who are the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors in the world today? Who are those people? Who are they in your mind? God could be calling you to love, to show love the same way that Christ does. And here's where we so often get this wrong. Is, is eventually we, we have these moments, right? Jesus, God will give us these opportunities, okay? And whenever we approach them, we, we have this tension rise up in us. And this is the point where your flesh and God's spirit are at war within each other. And they are fighting and they are battling within each other for the direction in which you're going to go. The spirit wants you to move you in a way that's uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable because you were just praying to become stronger in this area. You feel unqualified for it. You feel like I'm not, I'm not the best person to move forward in this area, but God is calling you to move in this direction and you're praying for it. And this is your opportunity but at the same time, there's a bunch of fear that sets in. And here's the question. Whenever things are scary, can you remain? Can you stay? Can you move? Can you do what he's calling you to do? Do you make the choice to stay in God's presence, in God's direction? And I want you to hear me on this. This right here is where remaining gets hard. This, where remaining is hardest, is where holiness is formed. This is where holiness works. It's, it's not formed in this worship service attendance. And I love that we get to get, get together and we get to worship together and we get to be in fellowship together. What we do here is great. It's not formed in just your devotional time. The time that you spend in your Bible getting to, know the, getting to know God and how much he loves you. It's not formed in that. It's formed in the moments where you have to choose to remain. It's formed in the moments where you literally have to choose against your own self. 
And you have to choose to remain. And let me tell you, it's messy. It's uncomfortable. It's a lot of times unreasonable. But this is where God could be leading you. This is where God is most likely leading you. Now, let, with that said, okay, let me read to you what Jesus says after this passage. Because there's this whole other section of this story that we haven't gotten into yet. But now I think we've laid the groundwork for it. And now this can mean something different. Okay? This is what Jesus says right after he gives the I am the vine statement. He says this, I, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command love each other and cause you to remain in his love to remain in his love so that his so that you could follow his commands to remain in his love so that his joy may be made complete inside of you to remain in his love so that you may learn to love other people the same way that he does i, I think it's evident What Jesus states here is that holiness is only achievable if you can love well. It's only achievable if you can love well. And and I'll let you know, if you truly take this to heart, what you're going to find is that to love really well is not easy. It is hard It is so hard. It takes so much time. It takes so much sacrifice. It is so demanding and it is risky. It is messy. It is unreasonable. But man, if you just take the choice to remain in his love and where he's leading you, where you can be on the other side of it, whenever you get to be on this other side and you get to experience how God has changed so many things, how he changes the people that you get to love on, how he changes you in the process if you just remain in his love. And if you're unfamiliar with how he loves, let me share with you. Whenever you were unfit for it, whenever you were undeserving for it, whenever you were the one person who was completely against every single thing that he could possibly stand for. Jesus, he saw you and he came down and he decided, you know what? I don't want you to have to live with the punishment that comes with the sin. 
I don't want you to have to live in the consequences of this world that's, that you're having to live in. Because I love you that much. And so he decides to take your place and die a death for you. Taking your place on that cross so that you could encounter him in a new way. So that God could be made accessible to you so that you could remain in him. And Jesus, he says it, the, he says it himself whenever, whenever he was talking. He says, nobody has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And in Jesus, he desperately wants to call you his friend. And I desperately want you to know him as a friend, to know his will, to know what he wants for you in your life, to know what he wants for this world, what he wants for his kingdom. I desperately want you to know what it looks like to remain in him so that you can bear fruit and you can bear fruit to the full so that you can experience that fruit in its righteousness, in its holiness, in eternal life when he, he, he welcomes us home. I want you to change for the better. He wants you to change for the better. He wants you to become the best version of you that you possibly can become because he loves you that much. And honestly, it does not matter how far gone you think you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are away from God. I promise you that he can still change you to become who he wants you to be. And so in a minute, we're going we're gonna to pray. And... Uh, and we're going to sing a song. And during the song, we're actually going to be baptizing one of our high school students who made the decision to follow Christ um, this past week uh, at, or last week at CIY. And I'm really excited about it. Um, but um, um, what, baptism is so crucial. Baptism is so amazing because what we do is we celebrate this exactly. We celebrate, we celebrate lives that are moving from death to life. We celebrate the, the decisions that people have cho- made to remain in God's presence. And I pray that they continue to remain in God's presence, just like I pray for you to remain in God's presence as he shapes and molds us to become the kingdom workers that he calls each and every single one of us to be. Will you guys pray with me this morning? Father, we, um, we just love you. We thank you so much for your, the cross, for what you've done for us, the way that you move, the way that you call each and every single one of us. And God, I, uh, I, I pray that as we talk about this hard topic, that this, this isn't something that would push us away, that we wouldn't be intimidated by the standard in which you call us to live but that we would be ones who would be willing to surrender, be willing to surrender the, the, our wills and what we desire for ourselves in this life so that you can come in and that you can shape and you can mold us and you can guide us to become, to do all the things that you know we are capable of doing. And Father, I pray that the expectations that you have on us, they would not waver, that you would call us to be amazing kingdom workers, that you would call us to do great things in, in this world. And Father, I pray that we would have the boldness 
to step forth, that we would have the boldness to claim you, to remain in you. And we could take that next step together. Father, we just thank you so much for what you are doing. And Father, if there's anybody here in the room who might not have made this decision to follow you, they, they don't know where they stand yet. They, they don't know, or maybe they're feeling a calling to want to follow you right now. God, I pray that in this moment that, um, that they'd be willing to admit it. They'd be willing to proclaim you as, your Lord, as their Lord. And, and so if that's you today, actually, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, if that's you this morning and you would say, God, yes, take me, take my heart, take my soul. I give everything to you. If that's you this morning, would you just lift up a hand? All heads closed, all eyes bowed. Thank you. Thank you. God, I pray for each of those individuals who raised their hands. And I pray that you could continue to move in their life, that you continue to shape and mold them and lead them in the next step as their faith might be fresh, as it might be brand new, as, as they might not even be able to explain what it is exactly that's working in them right now. God, I pray that, that you would continue to lead them and empower us as their church to lead them in the next steps that are for them. Father, we just thank you so much and we love you. In your name we pray. So uh, before we get into, uh, get into the song today, uh, we're going to do this. Uh, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. We like to say this prayer at the end, uh, towards the end of every service, because we believe that following Jesus is not a decision that you make once. It's a decision that you make every single day. And, and so we love to get to pray this prayer together because this is just a re-proclamation of the belief that we have, of the belief that we, that we uh, decide to follow in Jesus every single time. So would you guys pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Can we uh, celebrate with those who made the decision and let's, let's worship together and celebrate together.